0: Hi and welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. For our last show of the year, I wanted to do a recap. We talked to so many cool baseball people this season about all sorts of interesting topics, and we learned a lot. Who would have thought that Jeremy Pena would make a name for himself the way that he did as the Astros shortstop in 2022? He won Rookie of the Year, a Gold Glove, and Team MVP. But Peña has tried to be impactful off the field, too, dating back to his minor league and collegiate days. One thing that helped him on his way up and endeared him to teammates was being the team's translator since he was bilingual.
1: As you can tell, our team is a lot of Latin, a lot of Americans. So being able to contribute to both sides, it's pretty awesome. Not just in the big leagues, but since the first day I got into pro ball, it's been a big help.
0: Was there a, a moment for you where I, I, where you turned the corner and it was like a, a, you kind of became much more confident with your essentially ability to to deal with things because of that? I
1: would say it's easier to reach your teammates you know because sometimes with the communication barrier, you know you might have a uh, some gray area where you don't really communicate fully with your with your teammate. You get the idea of it. But then you don't really get the real, and that's where I come in. You know, that's where I try to explain as best as I can to both parties. That's what I did my first year in pro ball. You know, I was kind of like the the team translator in short season A. Yeah, pretty
0: cool. By the end of 2022, Jeremy Pena was a defensive star. He particularly excelled on tough backhand plays and explained how he made them.
1: That's something I've worked on. You know, something I've worked on. I was always a big attacking the ball with the forehand. And when I got into pro ball, you know, I put a lot of work in with Jason Bell. He was my first manager and that's one of the things we worked on, you know, being confident in the backhand and creating the hop with the backhand and finishing the play.
0: How much better are you with the backhand now than you were maybe 2 or 3 years ago?
1: Tremendously. I mean, I feel like the improvement on my backhand has been a big part of my defense. And you know, it's something that I've taken pride in in the past couple years. Just going to keep keep working on it, keep improving, and uh, go from there.
0: While Pena was a standard setter, Yankee shortstop Isaiah Kiner-Falefa was getting acclimated to new teammates on the fly. IKF was part of the infield that improved from one of the worst to one of the best of the season within one year. He's consistently posted good defensive numbers on the infield, including in 2022. We asked him if he had any drills for younger players who wanted to play like him.
2: The biggest thing for me is my range. Um, I'm always wanting to improve my range, and it was something that my high school coach taught me. It was a drill that not many people know about, and you know they might think it's eyewash, but it's a drill I believe in, and it's a range drill where if I'm playing shortstop, I'll start behind second base, and I'll get a jogging start, and then I'll start sprinting, and I'll have the fungal hitter hit it deep, deep, deep in the hole. That way I'm out of control. You know, I can't control my body. And that makes me slow down, field the ball, and have to, to make a tough play. And you do those enough, start getting used to to the game speed balls, and you're able to finish the play. And then you go to the backhand side where you're behind third base, and you start sprinting, and you have the coach hit it around second base. So you have to cover all that ground. You're out of control. You have to slow your body down while you're out of control, catch the ball, and throw it. And then you can go into left field and have the fungal guy hit a slow roller and you get a a sprinting start and you got to, you know, figure out how to make a bare hand play or get the short hop and and make a throw. So I think that, you know, that drill really helped me. Um, We were doing that from seventh grade. So, and I still do it once in a while here when my body um, allows me to, because you don't want to do too much before the games and the big leagues playing every day, but that drill um, by itself really helps me expand my range and, um, you know, make plays that, you, know, you see Nolan Arenado making these crazy jumping and throws, and that drill kind of just brings it out and lets you build your own style of difficulty on some plays.
0: Orioles infield prospect Gunnar Henderson is three inches taller and probably about 30 pounds heavier than Kiner Falefa. He explained to us how his size comes into play when he's trying to play good defense.
3: It helps with range, just being a little bit taller at some diving plays. I feel like I'll be able to make those and Maybe some like a shorter person, I mean they might have a quicker first step, but also I felt like length helps a lot and then especially on like some tricky hops, having a little bit longer arms can help eliminate the trickiness of the of that hop.
0: What's the best tip you've gotten from a coach with regards to trying to improve defensively?
3: mainly just because I'm such a taller guy, I just gotta stay low and especially when I throw just stay low to catch the ball, and then whenever I throw, I can get up a little bit taller to really let my arm action work and my, I have a strong arm so just letting it do its thing and just we last year we worked on a little bit of a higher arm motion just to kind of clean up the throwing mistakes and I felt like we got that cleaned up so just being able to let my arm go to its full potential.
0: Another prospect we spoke to Jake Alou of the Nationals was among the best defensive players in the minors this year. He was good on the bases too. He explained how the pitch clock came into play for him as a base runner something we can look forward to in the majors next season.
2: That changes from a base running standpoint. I've definitely noticed is, you know, you see that clock going down, you know, the pitchers kind of like rushing to get that pitch off. So you can maybe get a little bit better of a jump when that clock's on like going down to zero seconds. And I've definitely, you know, I've definitely taken a few bases like that this year. I've seen other guys take a few bases like that. So that's definitely going to be a factor
4: next year for sure.
0: As far as rule changes and technology go, Pitchcom was certainly a prominent fixture in MLB games this season. Diamondbacks catcher and outfielder Dalton Varsho explained why, in spite of some issues it had this season, he grew to like it.
5: I really wanted to hate it. <laughs> I'm pretty old school with with a lot of that stuff. I wanted to dislike it, but I actually really did like it because it does some things that you're not really able to do at a quicker quicker instance of when the pitcher's not looking at you, you're able to call some pitches. And I think it gives them a little bit of time to kind of like relax on the mound instead of sometimes when you don't have that same rhythm and timing and understanding what they want to throw, then it just kind of mixes that that rhythm up and it, it just kind of gives them the ability to like not have to look at signs. And it's just like, okay, that's what I want to throw. And you pick a location. So it's like being able to control all of that is is pretty cool, but we only do it with runner on second. Just because I think that we can normally can just call signs. Nobody can be able to see them from first and third and being able to do a lot of those things. So, And
0: there's a there's a comfort level with doing it. Varsha, Mr. Versatility, was one of a few interviewees who had strong defensive seasons in the outfield in 2022. Ian Hap of the Cubs was another. He was the major league leader in sliding, diving, and jumping catches. He explained the method behind his madness.
6: There was a lot that came with playing every day out there. And one of the things was not making it look pretty, but doing the things that I thought would help me just be as athletic as possible with the best chance to catch the ball. One of those things was, you know, they always teach you as an outfielder to put your head down, run to a spot, turn over one shoulder instead of opening your body to look over the other shoulder. Those are things I always found pretty challenging, especially at Wrigley with the wind and the sun. And and it's really dark out there because there's no lights behind you because it's a neighborhood. So all of the lights are in front. So the ball gets really backlit and it's kind of like a dark orb coming out of the stratosphere at you. So I I always had a little bit of trouble with that. So this year I, I made a real conscious effort to not only not take my eye off the ball, but to really feel athletic out there. And one of those things with the sliding catches in particular is that i've always felt like when i can leave my feet and kind of get under the baseball and stabilize my head in that way i see the ball down into my glove a lot better whereas you know running and trying to put your glove down and make a shoestring catch your head's still bouncing. Those always made it a little bit more challenging for me. So I I would say that I definitely did not have to slide as many times as I did, but it it makes for a, a much easier catch for me, even at those ones that would be waist height, just going down and getting below the ball and getting my eyes right behind it.
0: Guardians rookie Stephen Kwan beat out Hap for the Fielding Bible Award in left field. This was quite an impressive honor for a rookie who had to learn all the quirks of the ballparks he played in this season on the fly.
4: It's difficult. I think a lot of people talk about how the ball carries and you're kind of like, okay, well, let's see how much it really carries, like how much of that is narrative, how much is that is real. And in BP the first day, it was very evident the ball flies very, very far, a lot more than you had to. So we were already playing kind of deeper in the field to start. Just getting eyes acclimated during BP was super important. But yeah, it was definitely very conscious of the ball sales out there.
0: What's it like playing left field in some of the other American league parks? You got a a few out there, but before we get to Cleveland, I wanted to ask you about just, uh, were there any others that there's an obvious one or two that stand out? What has that been like?
4: Yeah. So Fenway is definitely the one that jumps out to me. It was kind of, it was interesting kind of tackling it the first day. I had some, uh, some people recommending like on the hard line drives, you want to be able to catch it before it hits the ground, just so you can kind of have a chance to, uh, throw them out at second. So that was kind of tough because usually, you know, off the wall, you want to let it bounce and then go. But I was kind of in between a lot of balls, kind of playing balls a little too aggressively, and I got burned on them the first day. So then went back to BP the next day, was able to kind of test the hops, kind of see the angles of the monster. That made it a little better, but it's daunting just looking behind you and you're not that far from the wall and you're really close to the infield. So it it makes it it makes it easy to keep it contained. But when you want to make the extra play at second, I think it takes another layer of uh, efficiency.
0: Is there any other park that you've played in that's particularly big that you've been kind of like, I mean, like Oakland or, or anything like that?
4: I think Baltimore sticks out with me. They just extended those fences out there. And and luckily there weren't too many balls that that went out there, but that made me feel like I was on an Island, like the complete opposite of Fenway where I turn around and it's like, wow, there's a stall, a lot of track behind me. That's, that's, I feel like I'm on a (laughs) abandoned (laughs) Island out there. So that was definitely a a cool one to kind of play around with. Again, got lucky that didn't get tested out there too much, but Baltimore sticks out with me.
0: What's Cleveland like to play left field in with the high fence?
4: Yeah. Cleveland's pretty cool. It's very unique. uh, I will say that kind of, in the corner, they have that tall wall and the angles play really interestingly. Like along the line, it'll shoot straight towards the line. And as it goes more towards uh left center, it'll shoot towards the the warning track. So just kind of having to measure where that ball's gonna hit and then playing it off there. It doesn't bounce as far as as I would have thought. And then in straight left field, they have the chain link fence that basically just completely kills balls. So it's kind of just judging where you think it's gonna hit and then just trying to minimize. It's, it's pretty, it's been pretty tame so far, I would say. There's luckily not too many like opportunities for it to shoot off and get too crazy. And obviously, I got Miles Strong in center field who backs up literally everything. So that's always a nice kind of safety window to have. But yeah, Cleveland's a fun place to play.
0: In terms of putting the work in, no one quite does this like a catcher. First, let's hear from the game's best pitch framer,
7: Jose Trevino. If you want to get better at something, you work at it. And I work at framing a lot. I work at framing a lot. I work at blocking a lot. I work at throwing. I work at these defensive things a lot. And there's people that can tell you, there's people that have witnessed this this past offseason that were like, dude, you're doing so much. Like, you might need it. And I was like, no, man, this is what this is what I'm going to do to help my team win. But for me, when I'm receiving a baseball, I want to set my body up in a good position to catch. Uh, I want to set my body up. I want to make sure my glove is in a good position to catch the ball. Uh, whether that's the pitch shape that's coming towards me, I, mean, I still haven't come up with a word for it, but I like to I basically like matching the plane of the pitch if you were hitting. I like to match the plane of the pitch with my glove when I'm catching. So whether it's going, you know, sinker into a righty, from a a righty, into a righty, I like to match my plane of the glove where I think that sinker is going to go. And I like to go to the worst possible pitch that this guy's going to make at the bottom of the zone, wherever it's going to go. And then from there, I think about just straight up, moving the ball straight up. I feel like any kind of side-to-side movement, any kind of horizontal movement, kind of gets you like, kind of gets the umpire to be like, ah, like I see that. But for me, the straight up method helps. But I think there's a little, I think there's a little twist to it. I say straight up, but there's a way that I think of it, and there's a way that other people think of it. Like some people like to think side to side. I like to think straight up, just because I put my body in good positions to receive the baseball.
0: Mariners catcher Cal Raleigh is another who takes the job super seriously, and he is particularly mindful of opponents who try to sneak a peek at what he's doing.
2: Some guys, some teams. The Good ones, especially, you know, they're always trying to get any kind of advantage, or whether it be catcher setups or targets, anything along that nature. So, we get a you know, certain team's if you set up too early, you give a high target, it kind of gives it away because you don't want to throw obviously a slider or a curveball change up anything off speed, really up. So, you know, it tells the other team that you're going to throw a fastball. So, sometimes with guys on second or guys on base where we might think, oh, they might be relaying something or they could. Maybe give a little sign to give them, might be a heater. I switch it up just every once in a while to keep people honest. That way they're not always looking in and trying to get an advantage.
0: Also out West, we talked with Diamondbacks first baseman Christian Walker, who had a fantastic defensive season. He shared where the turning point came for him in playing first base.
5: I think what's changed recently where, where I've taken the most strides for myself is is just learning how to practice defense. I think for a while, you know, when you're younger, everybody says, you know, work hard, take a lot of reps. It's, but, but, but for me, I felt like nobody really taught me how to get better at defense other than just taking ground balls and, and practicing. And, and that's, that's helpful and it's beneficial. And I think a certain amount of reps help development to some extent. But I feel like in the last three or four years and, you know, really working with, with Tony chica and, some of the great defenders that I've crossed paths with here, Nick Ahmed and Paul Goldschmidt, you know, even outfielders, uh, you know, Peralta was, was a great outfielder, but but seeing them and how seriously they take their practice and how fast they practice. And it's not necessarily about taking a hundred ground balls every day, but the 10 ground balls, the 20 ground balls that I take, I'm going to treat them like game speed. I'm going to act like there's a runner running the bases. I'm going to try to make sure my throwing lane is open You know, I'm going to entertain different scenarios. I'm going to play, I'm going to take ground balls from a shifted position. I'm going to take ground balls from shading the line, like just taking 50 ground balls at a straight up position and fielding on that half, you know, half effort and throwing them back in. I think it can be helpful, but for me, really developing as a defender came from how I practice practicing fast, practicing hard and, and taking every rep very seriously.
0: Other players of prominence on the defensive side that we talked to this season included Tommy Edmund of the Cardinals and Jorge Mateo of the Orioles. You can hear our discussions with them in our Fielding Bible Awards show. One of the points we tried to make this season was that diversity in baseball is important. A series of interviews touched on that. We heard from Veronica Alvarez, manager of Team USA Women's Baseball, and a spring training coach with the Oakland A's.
8: There are a lot of girls playing high school baseball. And just a lot of the girls that I've fought for opportunities within the game of baseball. So it's allowed them to develop and, and come to us a little bit more mature in their in their level of play. But also MLB has been hosting camps for girls in baseball for the last about four to five years. And that has really helped bridge the gap in, in the opportunities that the girls get. So that it's allowed them to stay in the sport longer, develop more physically, mentally, everything. So then we end up getting a pretty solid pool of players coming out and trying out for the national team.
0: We also heard from Dr. Justine Siegel, a pioneer in the sport, about the growth of women in coaching and playing baseball.
8: Well, we've never been in a better place as far as women coaching and pro ball. I, there's, you know, when I was doing it, I was just banging my head against the wall, trying to get opportunities. And now there's a very clear path on how a woman can get into baseball operations and, and onto the field, which is fantastic. There's over a dozen women coaching pro, pro ball. As far as playing, there's still more to do. Um Both Beth Greenwood and Kelsey Whitmore played for baseball for all, you know, instead of sort of wondering you know, which woman's going to break into Major League Baseball, we've got to make sure that every 10-year-old girl gets a real chance to keep playing the game that they love, which is baseball.
0: And uh, as for Baseball for All, what's next for your group?
8: We're growing tremendously, and uh, we have a new college initiative where we're helping students start club teams on campuses, and we ran our first college championship, college club championship, which was the first women's college baseball event in over 100 years. So, we hope to see college peer be opportunity beyond co-ed, you know, college baseball to see women's college baseball as well.
0: Who who won the, the tournament?
8: UW University of Washington.
0: And who did they beat? They beat Occidental. Oh, wow. Division. Okay. So division one against the division three.
8: Well, yeah, it's club sports, but yes, there was the giant versus that, <laughs> no, that, private school with, you know,
0: but, but that, that's great. That shows that, that, schools at all levels are, are getting involved in this. Yes, so that's ab- the-
8: absolutely. That that it's possible to start a team wherever there's a woman who wants to make it happen.
0: And Jasmine Dunstan of the White Sox about off-field opportunities for Black women.
9: I think in Major League Baseball, I think the African-American female Presence is a little slender. I think I am probably the only one in this role. So it is an honor. I am definitely humble for it. But I just say today is a new day. If anybody's just watching or if anybody wants a career in this, I think whether it's gender, age, experience, race, I just say Whatever you have a goal, just go for it and don't let anyone tell you no. I think Kenny Williams, he's been phenomenal about pushing that, you know, agenda, of just saying, hey, let's get some more diversity in here, whether it's African-American, whether it's female. I think we're learning today that a lot of females are coming into the space of major league baseball. I think sometimes they say we can't find candidates or women don't like baseball and they're not interested. But I think today we're seeing that's not true. And I think, you know, if our directors, our managers and people in the front office can just have a open heart about that, just about the mind and the thinking that we can just bring to the table, I think we can be great assets to them. So I think it's needed and I think it's coming.
0: This is a topic that our VP of Baseball, Bobby Scales, is also passionate about. He wants to get more black men and women involved in the sport in big ways.
10: The first part is is something that they've done a, a fair job of. You have to give a shout to Tyrone Brooks and his crew over there at Major League Baseball for really trying to stock the diversity pipeline. And that's giving people an opportunity to get some of these internships At the lower levels, he's done a great job in looking in in different places. But I think I think it's on the clubs. I think it's on people like us who work in businesses that run alongside uh, of Major League Baseball to continue to look in, in different locations, to look at the HBCUs, to look you know, not just at the business programs at Yale and Harvard and and the Michigans of the world and the USC's and UCLA's and all the other fine institutions across the country, but at some of the, the, the historically white colleges and universities as well. You know, the Howards, the Hamptons, the, the Morehouse College here in Atlanta, you know, Bethune-Cookman, Texas Southern, I mean, all over. There's tremendous institutions of higher learning all across the country. And there's also Young black men and women who are doing a, a, a tremendous job at, at predominantly white institutions and historically black colleges. So I think it's important for us to to look all over the landscape when you're trying to fill the diversity pipeline. But also, too, I think we need to continue to look in other industries. A lot of the people that not just work here at Force Info Solutions, but across the industry, have come from other industries into baseball, into front offices, and do a tremendous job there too. So let's continue to, to look for minorities that are that are currently having. Success in those jobs that are outside the industry to bring them into what is a a, a, trans, a fantastic industry to work in. The final piece to this is there are some really really talented people of color working in jobs already in baseball that want more. They want more opportunity. They want more responsibility. They want the opportunity to sit in the vice president seats, in the president of baseball operations, or the president uh, just over over the club in general, the general manager seats, assistant general manager seats. I can think of numerous people right now that deserve opportunities to do more than what they're doing currently at their current level with their respective clubs. So it's not just about filling the pipeline. It's not just about looking outside, but it's, it's also about looking within. There's really smart, really bright people that are doing a tremendous job. You had two that are on the the podcast before, and, and Josh and Jasmine. They're on their way to having tremendous careers within baseball operations departments, and, and hopefully higher than that. There's a, a young man named Andrew Toussaint that I I, I know very well. He's in the Mets organization now. He's assistant scouting director. Navery Moore in Minnesota up there with Josh as well. You know James Harris over there with Cleveland. So there, there's I, and I'm missing people, and I don't mean to 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 miss people, but there are people who are very capable of having high impact, high stress. High decision, lever- high leverage decision making roles within baseball operations departments across the country.
0: We also talked to Dodgers broadcaster Jose Mota about Latino players in Major League Baseball and which are taking on strong leadership roles with their teams.
7: Oh, Lindors, he's, he's naturally a leader. I mean, uh, Javi Baez himself having a bad year. He's a leader. Miguel Cabrera, I mean, guys like that are just outstanding for the game all the way around. Uh, Jose Ramirez is a leader out there in Cleveland. Think about what the Guardians are doing. <laughs> and he's the guy that leads that ship. I mean, if you're ever around the Guardians and next to like, that dugout, and I've experienced it many times, just go look at the energy Jose Ramirez brings every single game and his team teammates rub off on that. And I mean, I'm going to be missing some names here, but there's no doubt they do such a good job. Language barrier or not, these Hispanic players do a whole lot for baseball. And obviously it's a nice mix because they understand that this is their livelihood and what they need to do to go out there and perform and stay alive. And I can only applaud what they do, but uh, I'm glad you bring that leadership because obviously a guy like Lindor means a whole lot to that team and playing that position demands a lot in that city, especially he is absolutely remarkable.
0: One episode this spring, the next generation of future baseball stars was our focus Boston College-bound catcher Adonis Guzman has one of the best arms in amateur baseball right now. He's a future MLB prospect. So we asked him how he developed his arm.
6: I would almost say natural vulnerability, thankfully. But yeah, I mean, I've never really done anything abnormal when it comes to developing arm strength. I would say that one thing I do that I would say is a little bit unique in the United States, but not really in the Dominican Republic, is I, I toss with softballs a lot. Just so when I get the grip on the when, on an actual baseball, it's a little lighter and I have more control of it. But other than that, never really done anything abnormal.
0: Did someone teach you that
6: training when I was younger, going to different places, and kind of being around ex players? That's something they did a lot in Dominican Republic. So I kind of picked that up.
0: Is there a catcher whose arm you particularly like in the major leagues? Well, Salvador Perez is pretty good, right?
6: Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would say Martín Maldonado. I've seen him make some great throws and some very impressive throws. Uh, <laughs>
0: That's nice, a- and yeah. and some recency bias there because you would have just seen the Yankees play the Astros, right? Yes, yes, yes. And Eric Brown, former college shortstop, now with the Brewers, he's a student of the game, particularly on the defensive end, who likes players who make the game look easy and fun.
11: I mean, I'm just kind of watching of how easy they make the game look. And so, like, for me as a kid growing up, I kind of watched Jose Iglesias on YouTube and everything, and I would just look and see how he made plays look. And, like, it was just like, it looked effortless. He looked so smooth. And then he has all these different arm angles that he can throw from. And that's, like, I've kind of, like, really added that to my game as my lo- my lower arm slot because of him. And, like, there's this one play. It's on YouTube. It's, it's in, like, one of his highlights. A hitter gets jammed. He dies behind the mound and flicks from this low arm slot. And that's the, that's the exact play that I took from him. And then when I started watching Javi Baez, I was just like, he looks like he has fun with the game. And I said, that's how I want my game to be. I want to be like the, it's easy, but I'll make it look fun, you know?
0: Speaking of fun, we close with Brett Phillips, who has his own Baseball is Fun brand. He had some advice for the next generation who might want to dance or might want to play like he does. So I was watching something last night and it got me wondering, it was the post-series celebration, raise Yankees. And I was wondering what you would tell a kid, since we're talking about kids, I want to be able to dance like Brett Phillips.
11: <laughs> oh, hey, keep dreaming, kids. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Dancing, having fun, it's its who I am. It's, it's a part of my life. Obviously, there's a level of professionalism. There's a level of respect that I, I will never cross. When I play, I play a hundred percent. I respect the game. I respect my opponents. I respect my teammates. So with that being said, when I have an opportunity to dance and have fun and enjoy myself, I'm going to take a hundred percent advantage of that because when my career is also, this is such a small window of opportunity. When my career is said and done, I don't want to have any regrets saying, man, I wish I would have enjoyed myself more. You know, I let the, you know, anxiety and fear and, pressure, uh, rule my career. So for me, uh, I've accepted that I'm, I'm a dork and I enjoy to have fun. And this, what you see is what you get. This is who I am and unapologetically about it. This, you know, this is what it is.
0: <laughs> I would make a case too, that if you're a good dancer, that you're probably a good fielder because of the footwork <laughs> involved, right? Uh, That's what, good. <laughs> right? I love what, it. What, what would you say to a kid who says, I want to play defense like Rick Phillips?
11: So I, I would encourage kid who wants to play defense like myself, if, you know, whatever position it is that you enjoy to play, dedicate a lot of your time to becoming the best at that position that you can be. For me, I think I was 12 when I made the conscious decision that outfield was my main position. And from there, I spent all my time and practice at home, just getting better, looking at other players, you know, in in, in professional baseball, how, how they played, uh, Ichiro, you know, guys who I respect and are the best at that at the top level, just continue to find ways to be better in your game. Put the time in and
0: have fun. Good words to live by this season. A thanks to all of the listeners of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast in 2022. If you like any of the clips you heard, check out the episodes from this season. We'll have plenty more to come in 2023. For our VP of Baseball, Bobby Scales, and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Wishing you a happy holidays and a very enjoyable and safe new year.
11: Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.